and the probability this person worked out, and this is the most conservative estimate of a few of the others I looked into, the probability of you existing as you today has been calculated at least one in 400 trillion. How many of you are Kona and Twaki fans? Yes. <laughs> we could look at our lives as a mathematical probability, a miracle, or both, which is what it is. My first point about resilience as a testament to our past is that just like being here, alive right now, today, is nothing short of a miracle. It makes you and me miraculous. Despite that very positive piece of proof, I'm sure we don't feel very miraculous, generally speaking. Would you agree? Today I want to talk about resilience and what that was for Paul and how his life could encourage us today in how we shape our future, in the identity, strength and life the Lord has given to each one of us. So can we pray for a minute before we head into the text? <coughs> Lord, I want to thank you for the pleasure of being in this room, connecting with you today. I pray for all the incredible people that came before us, bringing us to this time and place. We place our hearts and minds in your hands. We ask your Holy Spirit to be with us as we seek to understand how we can see ourselves and our lives from your perspective together today. Amen. Thanks. So let's turn for the text today. I'm going to be reading from 2 Corinthians, uh, chapter 11, verses 16 to 33, starting off just with 16 to 22. And for those of you that, that have Bibles that have those subheadings, it's called, All Sufferings as an Apostle. I repeat, let no one think me foolish. But even if you do, accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone else makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. How many of you have felt like that in certain ways? The places we work, the things we've had to put up with, the government, the lack of government. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. So as Paul has done in, in the other passages we've looked at over the past few weeks, he admonishes the Corinthian church community for bearing with fools. And in this case, he's referring to proud, boastful, so-called super-apostles um, that they had chosen to follow and support financially um, based on their apparent qualifications, their style of delivery, and their social standing. In Paul, Sorry, in response, Paul shares his credentials. And I just wonder how we end up showing our credentials these days. Let's take a quick look at that. Right, you won't see it clearly, but how many of you have a LinkedIn profile which is where you list your credentials? 
wonder what Paul's credentials would have looked like uh, if he had the opportunity to fill this out. What struck me in, in wanting to get to know Paul a little bit more is, is that we know some things about Paul for what is said about him in Acts and what is said through him in his letters. And so I went on a bit of a rabbit hole that I hope you find quite interesting because there are a couple of things about Paul that I have never realized that I think really add a lot of dimension to this person that we read so much of and so much about. We do know some of, of what he got up to. Um, he's identified as the author of 14 of the 27 books in the New Testament. We've read Paul's letters for most of our lives if we've been involved in church and Sunday school. Some of us have sections on them on magnets on our fridges. We see it on billboards. Some of us have tattooed these things into our skin. Most weddings, Paul's words are a inexplicable, well, it is completely explicable, I mean, like actually integrated part of every wedding. And we carry them in our memories. So what do we know about Paul? We know that his name was Saul. He came from Tarsus, which is a town in now modern-day Turkey. He was a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. And he was sent to study under a, under a rabbi called Gamaliel in Jerusalem, which is one of the revered members of the Sanhedrin, which is the modern equivalent of studying under the best professor at Harvard or Oxford today. He became a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he knew the Torah as a Pharisee, the first five books of the Old Testament by heart. Imagine that, Leviticus by heart. Numbers. Ah! <laughs> but despite Gamaliel being part of the Sanhedrin, it proves, as is um, being written historically, that he was quite moderate in his perspective on early Christians and particularly the apostles at the time. But Saul was not. He approved of the murder of Stephen and the persecution of early, early church established by the apostles following Pentecost with zeal. And we know many of the stories. Then on his way to Damascus to round up Christians to bring them back to Jerusalem for judgment, he met the risen Christ. He met Jesus. He was blinded, healed by Ananias, and then transformed in his identity and his mission, ultimately to become Saint Paul, missionary, apostle to the Gentiles, all of us sitting in this room, and a martyr beheaded in Nero's Rome, and now immortalized in word and deed as we are sharing his words today. So let's go back to the text, now that we know a little bit of Paul's credentials in comparison to the super apostles. And Paul presents his profile and asks a critical question in verse 23. Are they servants of Christ? Are they servants of Christ? And he continues to list his credentials of service but under duress. I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I have been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food 
in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches. Being initially in the first century with a tough assignment, no flat whites, podcasts, designer jeans, book tours, probably just a tent and a handmade one. There is no way I would have been able to put up with much of that. How about you? But let's have a look at some of the elements of that text, some of the things that I never really appreciated. What exactly are 40 lashes but one? Reference from a mosaic law, 40 lashes are about what was determined enough to kill a man according to the Old Testament and thus 39 lashes was the most you could give a man without declaring penalty of death. This was also the number of lashes Christ received from Pilate. In actuality, 39 lashes was more than enough to cause a man to pass out and easily enough to kill. Paul managed to put up with that five times. In addition to being beaten, stoned, shipwrecked, imprisoned, betrayed and beheaded. How tough was this guy? There are a few things I found about Paul which I didn't know. He was described in other historical texts not contained in our Bible as a man of small stature with a bald head and crooked legs in a good state of body with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked. The Acts of St. Peter confirmed that Paul had a bald and shining head with red hair. Lucian in his Philopatris describes Paul as a small, contracted, crooked, four feet six. How many of you know how big four feet six is? 137 centimeters. About the size of my daughter. In fact, I think my daughter was taller than Paul. Now, how tough was that ginger guy? <laughs> Amazing. But what I found just thinking about Paul and, and just his physical, what would have been his, what, what is described to be his physical appearance, is nothing deterred this, this person. What did he have? What should we look to in order to have that level of resilience? Did any of these shortcomings stop this man? I don't know if any of you uh, watch Pete the Cat as we have done as parents over the years. But one of Pete the Cat's statements is, was he deterred? Goodness, no. He goes on to say, who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? I don't even know what that word meant. It means angry and annoyed for receiving unfair treatment. So next time, Eskom turns off the lights, feel indignant. <laughs> if I must boast, I must boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor and the king Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. He managed to escape Damascus, but like all of us, he didn't escape death. And the date of Paul's death is believed to have occurred after the great fire in Rome in July 64 AD, but before the last year of Nero's reign, which is in 68. Tertullian writes that Paul was beheaded like John the Baptist. Eusebius states that Paul was killed during the Neronian persecution, and quoting from Dionysus of Corinth argues that Peter and Paul were martyred at the same time. No. 
According to the legend, Paul's body was buried outside the walls of Rome in the second mile of the busy at the Via Ostiensis, an estate owned by a Christian woman named Lucina. Present-day Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls was built there in the early 19th century. As some of you may know, he's also the patron saint of London, hence the name St. Paul's Cathedral. Paul's resilience, despite his personal limitations, circumstances, and punishment, was superhuman. So how did he manage to accomplish that? Are you pretty good so far? Yeah. Dr. Kenneth Ginsberg, a child pediatrician and human development expert, proposes that there are seven integral and interrelated components that make up being resilient. Number one, competence, the ability to know how to handle stressful situations effectively. Number two, confidence, the belief in one's own abilities and is rooted in competence. Number three, connection, close ties to friends, family, community groups, are likely to have a stronger sense of security and sense of belonging. Number four, character. Strong sense of worth and confidence in touch with your values and you are comfortable sticking to them. Able to demonstrate a caring attitude towards others. Strong sense of right or wrong and are prepared to make wise choices and contribute to the world. Number five, contribution. People contributing to the world teaches the powerful lesson that the world is a better place because you are in it. Number six, coping. Have a wide repertoire of coping skills, social skills, stress reduction skills. Are able to cope with more effectively and be prepared to overcome life's challenges. And finally, seven, control. Have control over the decisions and actions to know how to make choices in a way that you can bounce back from life's challenges. Those are helpful things. But for me, there is one most important C missing. For true resilience, we need Christ. We need Jesus. We need our Savior and Messiah. An excerpt from Michael Eaton's commentary on this passage we looked at today reads, Christian ministry altogether is not about how much you can boast. It is about how much you can endure for God. It is not mighty faith taking you out of your problems. It is great faith enabling you to persevere against. Against opposition from men and from demons. Great ministry is being greatly like Jesus. And Jesus was crucified before he was raised to glory. Does Paul boast in his strength? No. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. Do we have any weaknesses? I'm sure we can all list the shameful and embarrassing feelings we have of ourselves or the things we've done or not done. Are they on LinkedIn? Probably not. It's probably recommended not to put them there. But our vulnerabilities generally are not things we are proud about. Most times we try to protect ourselves from to the detriment of ourselves people we love and the people we work with. Brene Brown, which I'm sure a number of you know, calls this armoring up. We protect ourselves with things that allow people not to see our vulnerabilities. Paul has a different response to this. And perhaps uh, the topic of a different message on a different day, and it's the armor of God, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with from Ephesians 6. 
compared to the struggles in the first century, I don't think Paul would have had many tents to make if he lived off the royalties of his books in the 21st century. What do you think? Yeah. So, with Paul as our inspiration, how do we build Christ-like superhuman resilience? First and most importantly, I think we need to remember he's done it for us already. Jesus, that is. By his stripes we are healed. Isaiah 53, verse 5, and 1 Peter 2, verse 24. What are the sacrifices we can make? What are the sacrifices we should make? Our time, our attention, our troubles, our pride. So how do we do that? I want to finish off leaving you with three R's to equip yourself, myself, to recover and rebound when we get compressed and deformed. So those three things are, first of all, to read. Let us read the Word to deal with the world. Let's build on rock, not on sand. So Matthew 7, 24, 27 talks about. Rest, stop, observe, remember who you are and what you worship. Be still and know that I am God, is what Psalm 46, 10 says. Finally, to reflect, to pray, to contemplate, and to participate in what God has for us. Because He promises us that out of our heart, as believers, will flow rivers of living water. Remember what John 7, 38 for that. So I'd like to share a little bit more detail on each one of those in landing uh, my message for you today. And the first thing I'd like to do is to find out how everybody's doing. All good so far? <laughs> first of all, I'd like you to look out that window, that amazing mountain that we have outside. It is something we can see wherever we go as a gift for living in the city. So let's start with reflect. And I'd like to reflect on that mountain just for a moment. That mountain is a perfect example of geological resilience. Table Mountain is 1,067 meters above sea level, as some of you will know who have had to climb up and down it. And it's believed to be between 240 and 360 million years old. It's one of the oldest mountains on our planet. It is millions of years older than the Himalayas and the Rockies. The Alps are relatively youthful at 40 million years old in comparison to what Table Mountain is. It is home to an amazing 8,200 different plant species. Around 80% are endemic fangles. To give you a point of comparison, the British Isles has less than 1,500 plant species. Table Mountain has 8,000. Some of you may know that its Khoisan name is Hiroquat, the mountain in the sea. Original name given to the mountain chain from here all the way down to Bay Point. Now, if you think about this incredible mountain that we have in our city, the Jews had Sinai. We have Table Mountain. <laughs> What a mountain to pray on, play on, and contemplate how you, we, can make an impact in our church and city. 
we had been dinner with friends of ours a little while ago talking about how this elevated um, room that we end up being in allows us to look down on people who live in shacks around us. And I suppose one of the questions that we need to ask is what's our response to that? How should we feel about that? And if we go up to the top of this mountain and we look over this incredible city we've been given the privilege of living in, what difference could we possibly make in our personal ways and in our work through our church? One last factoid, some of you might know personally, is that there is a lake with a beach on top of Table Mountain. How many of you have been to that lake with a beach? Anybody who could take us there? I think we should go there. I think we should go and see the lake with a beach on top of Table Mountain. The most amazing thing about that lake with the beach is it has no rivers that lead into it. It's kept full by springs that come out of come out of Table Mountain. Just quite astonishing. Where does that water come from? I mean, yes, there's obviously a geological explanation. But the point I want to make in this reflection is that if that water sits on top of Table Mountain and we are His children, should we not be seeking to being kept full with living water? And so my prayer for us today is, Lord, keep us full with your living water. Next, how intentional are you in your rest? I speak to you not as somebody who's mastered this at all. But I can tell you the benefits of what comes from it when you do. One of the most incredible books I have ever read, in fact, is this book here. It's a book called Sabbath by Abraham Joshua uh, Eshel. Yeah, it's a rabbi, Jewish rabbi. And he writes this about the Sabbath. I'm going to say this twice, so parts of it sink in, because I had to read it more than twice, so maybe you can get it quicker than me. Six days a week, we wrestle with the world, bringing profit from the earth. And on the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Six days a week we seek to dominate the world. On the seventh day we try to dominate the self. How many of us think about the weekend or Sunday and thinking about that being the domination of self? What do we give God back? Can we give Him a day of rest? That's what He commands us to do in honoring the Sabbath. And we do that. How many of us could do it with a bit more rest? Netflix is so enticing. It is. <laughs> and it's easy to say that you're getting rest when you're watching it. Until you know the difference when you're not. So my prayer for us today, everyone, is that Lord, teach us to worship you. Worship you. In our work and our rest. All seven days. But let's not forget about the rest. I brought a copy of this to you. Give to the first person who would like this book. Yes, we would like this book. <laughs> Finally, read, read. Sometimes we forget this, you know, that the Bible is the living word. It's the easiest accessible thing. We might not be able to see God when we reflect. We might not be able to see God in the things that we need to do on a daily basis. God is in 
the word. So a personal story from our family is that, and it's the last one this morning, I promise. Some months ago, Gabs and I were struggling with having to deal with grumpy kids. Anybody have grumpy kids in the morning trying to get to school? Us too. No surprises. Gab suggested that we get them up a bit earlier and do a quiet time with them, with us in bed, before getting ready for school. That did not make sense to me at all. Um, we found uh, Louis Giglio's Kids Daily Devotions book called, no surprises there, indescribable. Um, and despite my uh, reservations, it has been one of the best decisions of our year. Being able to lie in bed with our kids and read these short, beautiful stories that take 10 minutes, um, connect scripture and the wonders of the world to our kids' hearts and minds. Our son knows indescribable song by heart, much to the irritation of the sister. One of them we read a few weeks ago was called Beautiful and Unbreakable. That was the title of the, the devotion. And it was about diamonds. As most of you know, diamond is made from pure carbon under deep, extreme pressure and temperature over time. Carbon, the same thing causing global warming and the bubbles in our drinks, bizarrely, is transformed to the highest hardness and thermal, connect thermal conductivity of any material. And one of the most valuable gemstones in the world by its size and weight, as we know, we've ever had to buy one. Its high refractive index and optical dispersion is the reason that they sparkle. A natural example of what resilience produces. As an analogy for us, the greater the pressure, the deeper we need to dig into our character, the longer we are able to maintain our true nature, which is our nature given to us by the Lord. We transform into shining light and color for us. And I'm sure when you've met someone who shines with that light, you can attest to that when you see it in front of you. I've never thought about that before, but now I realize how apt diamonds are as, an, as a symbol of marriage. Not the wedding day or the engagement, but definitely becomes more applicable the longer the marriage goes on, which I know my wife will agree So, my prayer for us today in relation to that and to being connected to what the Word can do for us in building our resilience is, Lord, help us to see what we are worth, what we are worth. We are diamonds in construction when we are resilient in the world that we live in. And, never mind what we are worth, which is an easy thing to try and reflect on, navel-gazing as we do most of the time, but what the worth is that we get to see in others. When we look for Christ, do we look for light? Do we look for color? Because that's, that's what happens when He shines through people. <coughs> And once we manage to fight the good fight, going back to credentials, all Paul's credentials that he felt needed to be saved, what credentials do we need to enter the kingdom of heaven? What credentials do we need to enter the kingdom of heaven, which is the ultimate source of all that, that gives us the resilience? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's done. It's done. 
And if that's the case, and we believe that, and we believe that, does that not mean that we, as believers, already operate from within the kingdom of heaven? That you have that power in his actual disposal, if you if you pay attention to it, if we are aware of it. In conclusion, to face and overcome the world in suffering and celebration, Paul writes earlier in the same letter, 2 Corinthians, verse, chapter 4, verse 8 to 10. We are afflicted in every way, but we are not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Does the life of Jesus manifest in our bodies? We need to cultivate that. We need to cultivate that. That is a choice. We need Jesus, everyone. I need Jesus. Christ, the living Christ, that same Christ that transformed Paul, he can transform every single one of us. He is the Son of Man as much as He is the Son of God, and the Father, and the Holy Spirit. Can I pray for us? Lord, thank You for the truth that You have given us in Your Word, that it is accessible, that You are accessible to us. That the world is full of trouble. It is full of challenge and we will go through places where we are compressed, stressed, deformed. But with you, we have everything we need to be transformed into the shining light and color you have to give us. And it is that same shining light and color that we can see in other people in order to encourage them in their journeys as well. May our church, may these people inside this room be able to see that and cultivate that in each other for us to be taken, for us to be able to take that gospel, that good news, that you transform us, that you transform the world through your sacrifice. I want to just take a few moments just for people to sit and just reflect a few moments. Speak. Speak to your Creator. Spend time just dwelling on the ideas of perhaps it's reading, resting, reflecting. Maybe there's other things you know God wants you to be doing. And don't forget the fact that you are here. The fact that you exist. Today, you are one in 400 trillion. We are miraculous just for doing nothing. You may imagine what would be possible if we are able to connect ourselves to the source of all resilience. I can just um, pick up on that point. I, I just feel like I'm just going to say, I've got more to tell these people. You know, we were talking, do we hit the meeting now? I feel like we're saying, no, 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 I've got more stories here. And I think it's the personalized message of the Holy Spirit now. We 
Thank <laughs> you. 